Good morning, church, and welcome once again to our service of worship today. I want to begin with a story from a number of years ago when I worked for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, coordinating their summer day camp program for their children and students who were blind and visually impaired. Towards the end of the summer, we had organized a special overnight campout at a local conservation area. And so on the Friday night, parents dropped off their children and, and we set up our campsite. There was about 10 kids and, and four leaders, if memory serves. And, and once we had our, our campsite set up, we, we got our campfire going, which the kids were really excited about because we were making s'mores. The graham wafer, the marshmallow, the chocolate all melted and mashed together. And if you like that, it's quite a treat. Well, for many of our students, this was like their first campout experience. So they were excited, happy as can be, sitting around the campfire. We're singing campfire songs, roasting our marshmallows. And then I happened to look up. And because and, I noticed a movement off in the distance in the forest behind us. And, and I realized, squinting, kind of trying to see through the dark, that uh, we weren't alone. There was company coming. A family of skunks were, were slowly closing in on our campsite from all sides. And so uh, I, I quietly stepped away from the campfire to, to get my, my trusty flip phone from the car and call into the front office to explain our situation. Well, the park ranger on the phone told me to remain calm and not to make any sudden movements and wait until they could send someone out to our campsite. So I waited, but the skunks didn't. They continued to move closer and closer to our campsite. And of course, the children had no idea. They can't see. So they continued to sing and just have a great old time. Well, within a few minutes, the, the truck pulled up and, and the park ranger got out and he shone this super powered floodlight on our campsite and the skunks scattered off into the forest, terrified. Well, our blind students, they, they had no idea what had happened. So once the ranger had left and, and things settled down, I explained the whole story. I told them how we were surrounded on every side by this pack of skunks who wanted our s'mores and how the ranger came and saved the day by shining a really bright light on all of us. Well, I, I share that story because there's, there's just a, a really simple point to it. Bright light doesn't mean much to people who can't see. People who are blind need to be told about the light. They need to have it explained. I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're, we're going to be looking at, at this incredible passage yet again today. As I mentioned last week, during these four Sundays of Advent, it is my prayer that in looking back at, at this incredible and unique account of Jesus' first advent, his first coming in the Gospel of John, we will learn how to look forward in faith and be ready for his second advent, his second coming. Unlike Matthew and, and Luke's account, John presents the Christmas story here without ever mentioning Bethlehem or Mary and Joseph or an inn or a manger or angels or, or any of those historical details. 
Because what we have in John 1, as I mentioned last week, is is not the earthly historical perspective, but the heavenly theological perspective of Christmas. It's it's the epic behind-the-scenes story, if you will. Last week, we looked at the first five verses that, that start in the beginning, the same beginning as Genesis 1. Well, I'm going to read those again, verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to pick things up at verse 6 and read to verse 9 today. So, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it, as we talked about last week. And then we come to verse 6. After 400 years of silence, where where there had been no prophetic voice, John writes this in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word today. So in verse 6, John really (laughs) switches gears, doesn't he? Right in the middle of this, this epic beyond time and space opening, John writes, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. It's cut and dry, plain and simple. God sent a man named John. Now, this John is not to be confused with the author, the the apostle John. We know this because the author John never refers to himself as John, but instead refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. So when we see the name John in this book, it always refers to John the Baptist. However, in this gospel, He's never called John the Baptist. Though we do see him baptizing people in the book, the way the Apostle John presents John the Baptist is tied exclusively to his primary calling, his God-given purpose, the reason God sent him, which is stated in verse 7. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light. That's the reason he came. John's primary purpose in this world was to be a witness concerning the light of Christ. A witness is a person who is called on to help establish the truth of an event or situation based on their firsthand experience or personal knowledge. And John the Baptist had both. God had spoken to him in the wilderness about the coming Messiah, and he had firsthand experience with Jesus through their meeting at Jesus' baptism. But it's also important to note that the word translated witness here is is the Greek word martyrian, which is where we get our English word martyr, which takes the idea and importance of witness to a whole other level. To witness implies staking your life on your testimony. That is being willing to lay down your life for the truth, which is why in the courtroom, a witness takes an oath swearing to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, as if our lives depend on it. Well, John came as a witness to testify concerning the light. And by the way, the word testify has the same root, martyr. Again, staking one's life to tell the truth. 
And in John's case, it was to tell the truth about the light that is Christ. And staking his life is, is ultimately what John the Baptist would do. Why? Look at the, the end of verse 7. So that through him all men might believe. Believe. This is the first of 98 references to believing in the Gospel of John. Because belief is what this book is all about. Belief in what? John the Baptist tells us what. When he first sees Jesus approaching him in John 1.29, John proclaims, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then just a few verses later in verse 34 of John 1, John the Baptist declares, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God, speaking of Jesus. Well, the, the apostle John sums it all up in John 20, verse 31. We, we saw this verse last week as well. He, he sums up the purpose of the gospel. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. To believe means to, to put your faith, to put your trust, to put your hope in him, to say yes to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living word, to, to believe in who he is and all that he has done. And the important thing we see here is that believing happens through a witness to the light. You see, without a witness, no one believes. Verse 7, it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning the light that through him all men might believe. You see, that the witness of John and the light of Jesus are inseparable here. In God's wisdom, he saw that it was necessary to provide a human witness to the divine light that is Christ, to announce his arrival, to proclaim that the light had come into the world, and to bear witness to that light. And John was the person God chose to bear witness, to testify. So, so who is he exactly, John? Who, who, who is he? What's especially interesting is, is how John the Baptist is described, or more accurately, how he is not described, how he isn't described. As I mentioned, he's not called John the Baptist in this gospel. He's simply called John, because John's primary role was not to baptize, but to witness, to testify to the light of Christ. Look at verse 8. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This, this is a really important point here. John himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. This is emphasized and, and repeated later in, in chapter 1. Look down at verses 19 and 20 in this section aptly titled, John the Baptist Denies Being the Messiah. Here's what we read in verse 19. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. 
Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you were not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Later in John 3, 28, John the Baptist makes this declaration. He says, you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He, referring to Christ, must become greater. I must become less. This right here is what pastor and author John Piper has called the knot of John's testimony. It's not about John. It is only and exclusively about Jesus. And, and John knows that, that only as he becomes less will Christ become more. John knows that as he decreases, Christ increases. Because Jesus, the light of the world, is the great I am. So John is clear to say, I am not. He is. He's the great I am. I am, I am not. John is not the light that shines in the darkness. He is not the Christ. He is not the Messiah. He is not Elijah. He is not the prophet. He is not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He is not the bridegroom, but he is the friend of the bridegroom who waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice because it means he's here which is what John lived to proclaim, that Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, the light of the world, the Son of God, the precious Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, was here. He had come. And so he must become greater as John becomes less. And this is why Jesus said of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, that's how God's economy works. The first will be last, and the last will be first. John could not speak of himself without pointing to and telling about and making much of Jesus Christ. So, so that he might increase as John decreased. The point is this. John knew who he was and who he was not only in relation to Jesus, the inextinguishable blazing light of the world that shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. John was not that light. He came only as a witness to that light. Okay, but, but hold on a second. If the light of Christ is so brilliant, so bright, so inextinguishable as, as we talked about last week, why does it need a testimony? Why, why does it need to be announced? Well, when you have to tell people the light is on, when they're blind, 
when they can't see the light. Which brings us back to the point we started on. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God, small g, God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. People who are blind don't know the light is on. Just like those campers I told you about at the beginning, they need to be told about the light. They need to have the light explained to them which means Christ Jesus must be preached because faith doesn't come by seeing, but by hearing. As Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 14, how then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Romans 10, verses 14 to 17. The message is heard through the word of Christ with a voice which is exactly how John the Baptist describes himself when he's asked point blank by the priests and Levites in chapter one, verse 22, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. In this gospel, John the Baptist is first and foremost John the witness, who is not about himself at all, but all about Jesus. John's identity was his purpose, his God-given call to be a witness to the light of Christ, to be the voice calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. John can only answer the question of who he is by explaining who Christ is and why God has called him. So, What does this mean for us? My friends, God's way of shining the light of Christ into the darkness of this this dark, dark world is through his witnesses indwelt by his spirit, through the lives of Jesus' followers, his children, whom Jesus calls children of light in John 12, verse 36. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. The glory of always goes to God, the light source. 
He must become greater as, as we become less. And, and though those verses there in Matthew 5 stress the importance of our deeds, of our actions, that is, as we love and selflessly serve others in Jesus' name, we cannot fully shine the light through our works without clearly sharing the light through our words. I'm just going to repeat that. We cannot fully shine the light through our works without clearly sharing the light with our words. Because, my friends, people without Christ are blind spiritually. Letting the light shine doesn't simply mean pointing to the light and saying, look, but speaking about the light and saying, listen. Listen through, through our witness about Christ. And my friends, if you and I are believers, true followers of Christ, Christ has both called and empowered us by his spirit to be his witnesses, his, his martyrs, ready to stake our lives on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died to save us from our sins and who rose from the dead to give us eternal life and to tell others about this good news. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is who we are called to be, my friends. Holy Spirit-filled witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so just like John who knew who he was and who he was not, but only in relation to Jesus and God's call on his life. May we identify ourselves intimately and inseparably with Christ and his call on our lives to be his witnesses. Which basically means this. I won't be able to tell you the story about my life without telling you the story about his the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who forgave my sins, who saved my soul, who cleansed my heart, and who made me whole, and who is ready and waiting to do the same for anyone who will turn away from their sin and believe in Him. My friends, our witness requires words. Why? Because faith still comes by hearing a witness, just as it has for every one of us. And we are his witnesses. Witness is not just what every Christian is called to do. It is what every Christian is called to be, ready to tell the truth about Jesus Christ, to testify to the light of Christ, to be ready to tell people the story of what Jesus has done in our lives, ready to tell them, share with them the reason for the living hope we have in Jesus Christ. Because as Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Blind people can't see the light. So they, they need to hear about it. They need to hear the truth of the word that is Jesus Christ 
through our testimony to his light so that through faith, the eyes of their hearts may be opened to see and receive Jesus Christ, God's only son, the light of the world, the light of life. Amen. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this prayer
especially fitting for us as, as Jesus witnesses today that, that we have the privilege and responsibility to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Because as the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Partaking of the Lord's Supper is not just for witnesses of Jesus. This is an act of witness to Jesus because it is a proclamation of his sacrificial and saving death. As, as we partake of, of these elements here today, we will remember, we will honor, we will cherish, and we will proclaim Jesus' ultimate suffering and sacrifice for us, for our sin as he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, in order to save us. So with these things in mind, let's prepare our hearts in a prayer of confession. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come and we confess that our sin runs deep that we have sinned against you. We have not given you the worth that you are due. Lord, we have fallen short of your glory. We, we are a people of unclean lips, unclean hands and unclean hearts. We're guilty of pride, of unbelief, of self-centeredness and idolatry and immorality of all kinds. If you, O oh Lord, should mark our iniquities, who could stand? How, how can we answer you? We have no answer on our own. But Father, you have mercifully provided one for us. Jesus Christ, your perfect son, the lamb slain for the sin of the world. So have mercy on us, O oh God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out our transgressions, wash away all our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In obedience of Jesus' command, we are now going to participate in the Lord's Supper. To partake of his body that was given, represented by the bread that we will eat, and his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, represented by the juice that we will drink together in a moment. So I would invite you now to get these elements prepared at home, and then we will proceed with the words of institution. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life by the Spirit may come and partake of this table.
This is not our table. It is the table of our Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. At this time, we we will now return a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread, symbolizing the body of Jesus given for us. So I would encourage you at home to to pray, either a, a prayer aloud or in the quietness of your heart, thanking God for the bread, symbolizing the body of Christ given for us. Let's pray. Together, let us eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us and be thankful. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Once again, I I would invite everyone participating at home to, to say a prayer of thanks for the cup, symbolizing Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. Let's pray. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for us and be thankful. Shepherds kept their watch.
And now receive the Lord's blessing. This is from Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you.